Okay, now I've called this, um, I've called this talk Spirit-Filled Marriage, God's Inconvenient Truths. First thing to notice is, this is in the context of, of Paul talking about spirit-filled lives. Christians who are on the money, who've actually got what, what, what uh, Christianity is about, that their lives are filled with the Spirit of God. They've been forgiven, cleansed by the blood of Christ, and are enjoying day by day and uh, the filling of the Spirit, and are seeking to be filled by the Spirit. And in this whole section, as you may remember all those months ago when I was talking about it, Paul wishes to be talking about every aspect of everybody's life in the church. In this case, he's talking about wives, but uh, of course he talks in this section about every church member. He talks about those who are wealthy, those who are servants or slaves, those who are women, those who are men, those who are young people and children. Everybody is encompassed in this thing about being spirit-filled. But part of the aspect of being spirit-filled is submission. And secondly, Paul applies this in, this, in these two verses to women, uh, to married women. And, but we, even if, as I've said, you're single or uh, a male, you, there are things that we will learn and the Lord will, will teach us, I'm sure, as we look into his world. Now, I've said it's spirit-filled marriage, but I've said God's inconvenient truths. Well, why do I mean these are inconvenient truths? Well, the first thing is, it's inconvenient because God's word smashes like a hammer. It burns like a fire. It, It tears down ideologies and ideas that are completely false. We live in a culture, a relativistic culture in the West, and in Britain in particular. What does relativism mean? It means basically this. People say this, there is no God, the universe was created so many billions of years ago, and everything has happened by accident. And because everything has happened by accident, there is no absolute right and no absolute wrong. Uh, One of the uh, people that um, believe this, um, pre-war, was a guy called Jean-Paul Sartre, who was an existentialist, and he basically said... Because everything is contingent, everything's accidental, we've got to understand that there's no essential truth. There's nothing essential about anything. There's nothing that's essentially right or wrong. There's nothing essentially that's evil or good. All it is, is what we make of it. And what he said is, our great responsibility is to create our realities of right and wrong. That was called existentialism because he said it's from our existence as accidental people, but with our, our personalities, we can create the truth. And uh, that truth may consist in becoming a, a wonderful, sacrificial servant of mankind, feeding the poor, or it might, you might be a serial killer. He said, well, the most important thing is that we live an authentic life. And it's better to be a serial killer, he basically was saying, than to actually pretend to be a good person. Well, of course, that sort of thing is what people now, today, say. Someone says, I can create the reality. I'm a white man. Yes, I was born a white man, but I can become a black man or a black woman by just thinking it and and taking that as my identity. And you better respect the fact I'm a black woman. That's actually what people are saying. That is part of the ideology of transgenderism, um, which, uh, I mean, for those 
people are actually born with chromosomal problems and actually do have you know, male and sexual characteristics, male and female sexual characteristics, of course, that is something totally different. That is a, a real medical problem that, that uh, needs to be dealt with sensitively and carefully, care, carefully. But that's not what transgenderism is about. It's not helping those people that have actual physical, biological problems. It's primarily about the idea that you can create your reality by an act of will. Well, the Bible says that that's view is centuries old, millennia old. Uh, the Bible says that God revealed his truth, but men did what was right in their own eyes. That defined paganism, and it defines modern-day paganism, doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, what we have when, um, uh, uh, with God's truth is inconvenient truth that the pagan world doesn't like. And this particular teaching on uh, wives submitting to their own husbands is actually something which, you know, a lot of people are horrified by, shocked by, and, and, and terrified by it. But I want to look and see that it's inconvenient not just to our culture, but it's actually it's inconvenient to this preacher. Because as we go into this passage, not just about the, uh, the character of women, Christian women, but the character of Christian men, it actually becomes very inconvenient to me because I examine my own life as a husband and I see my failures and, and, and wrong ways and, and it becomes uncomfortable when I compare myself with the person I should be with the kind of person that is revealed in this passage. And, uh, of course, this applies to us as single people as much as to, uh, as to married people for, for the reason, reasons that we'll go on to see. Now, I firstly want to point out of this um, that the Bible, in talking about women being subject to their husbands, they're not saying that somehow women are inferior to men. They're certainly not saying that women can't be prime ministers, presidents, generals, policemen. There are some evangelicals that have gone as far as to try to suggest from biblical teaching that that is so, but this is plainly nonsense. The Bible talks about a wonderful hero, in uh, uh, heroic uh, um, leader of Israel. But the, the leaders of Israel before, before the monarchy, before they, they had kings, uh, dynasties of kings and bloodlines of kings, they, they were ruled by, by great leaders called judges who both had a responsibility to apply the word of God in judgment, as judges do, and also to rouse the people in battle and, 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 uh, and get the generals and other leaders under them to actually, to actually work. And we have an example in, in the case of Deborah, who was a tremendous, uh, tremendous leader of Israel. Uh, we haven't got time tonight because I want to finish quickly. Uh, but it, it's very interesting if you explore the life of Deborah and you see how God used her as a political leader judicial, legal, she wasn't a teacher, she was a prophetess, but she wasn't a teacher, but she was a, a judge. And she was used by the Lord uh, to help to deliver Israel um, and uh, give guidance to uh, Sisera, uh, the other, the other, the other uh, general that was involved in a great victory. And so you see, the thing is this, that when Paul says, and let's now look at the passage, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, this isn't talking about that somehow women are the inferior species. 
We need to look at what this word means. What does it mean, wives submit to your own husbands? Remembering, of course, that the actual word is found in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands. Wives to your own husbands. Uh, The word in in the Greek is opetasso, which means to submit. It was a military term originally, meaning that um, divisions of troops were arranged you know, in lines, and in lines of command under a military leader. Um, in joining an army, you actually, or forced into an army, you were put in a situation where you, were, you had to obey the orders of the commander, of the leader of the army. Now, again, it's interesting, isn't it, that in, uh, in Israel, before the monarchy, which was not God's, God's plan was not that the uh, original plan was not that Israel should live in a monarchy, but, but should live... Um, without a king ruling over them, but when it came to a time of war, the people of Israel volunteered, and that's what Deborah in her song in the Old Testament says, praise the Lord, when the people you know, volunteered, when people gave of themselves freely. What were they doing? They volunteered to submit themselves to become part of an army, to take orders. It was a voluntary thing. And the tense that is used here, and also the tense that is used in most of the places in the New Testament where it talks about submission, is a voluntary submission. It's, it's being, if you like, enrolled in the army, you know, when you, not conscripted, but you volunteer. In this case, Paul is telling, telling wives voluntarily, out of love for Christ, out of a reverence for Christ, to submit themselves to the leader to a leadership. Now, I just want, 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 want to, to, before I go any further to talking about the women being subjected, Paul's teaching here is quite shocking to the, to the, uh, to the, to, to the 21st century, but it was even more shocking in the, in the first century. Now, why? Well, in the first century, both pagans and Jewish people thought that women were inferior. The Jews had, a, well, there were a certain sect of Jews uh, of uh, rabbinical uh, that followed the rabbis, a certain set of rabbis who taught their children to pray a prayer, and some Jews even still pray this prayer in certain sects of, of Jews, not in mainstream Judaism, but they still pray this prayer. Thank God that I am not a Gentile or a woman. And boys are taught to, to pray this prayer. And a Gentile was a hated, despised, filthy, dirty piece of scum, as far as the Jews were concerned. Thank God I'm not that. Or a woman. In other words, a woman was equivalent to that awful, inferior thing, a Gentile. And, and Jewish children were taught in certain sects to say that. Um, the ancient Jewish historian taught women were inferior. And he, those of you who know a bit of ancient history know that, that uh, Josephus is quite an important uh, witness. And uh, so we know that Jews believed that women were inferior. And the the Romans thought that, that women were property. They were chattels. You know, they, they, were, to be, they, were, they were your property. You, you, you had your children and they would be kind of sold off uh, to, you know, to, in marriage relationships and so on and so forth. And when you married a woman, you owned her and she was under your, completely under your thumb. Now, Paul, in this passage, puts shock after shock for those traditional ideas. Firstly, we notice that he says that women... Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Firstly, wives aren't doing it out of 
just because they've got to follow society, because, or just because they're scared of the husband, because the husband's going to take a mallet out and hit them. But firstly, it is a sacred part of a, 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 a woman's, a wife's love for the Lord that she submits to her husband. Secondly, the husband was tasked with complete self-sacrifice for his wife. Now, this, this, was, this was almost obscene to, a, to, to, the, to the Roman hierarchical structure. Women were, you know, generally speaking, were just completely inferior to the man. And here, Paul is saying, there must be complete self-sacrifice. We're going to look into a bit more detail in that passage later. Thirdly, there is no command for the husband to rule his wife. And we know that in traditional cultures, men are taught, if your wife should argue with you, give her a black eye. I have Muslim friends that have said, have told me that sometimes they've heard this said. This is part of their teaching. That if, if a wife is unruly, then uh, she is to be, you know, uh, you know really dealt with harshly. And, and violence is perfectly permissible. This is not what Paul says at all. Paul doesn't, there's no command here for the husband to rule his wife with an iron fist. Not at all. It's the woman is lovingly to submit herself to the husband. And then the, the husband is to sacrifice himself for, for it to, to, to the wife. Paul is very specific about the love and care that the husband must show for the wife. I'll, I'll look at it again. Look what he says. In the same way, this is verse um, 29, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And Paul is describing this incredible responsibility dropped on the man to have the same kind of love for his wife as the Son of God has for the church of God. Now, we might note that there is uh, something in Christian history, that some Christians have carried on with a pagan view of subjecting women. Some people have called themselves Christians and have beaten up their wives, used violence. Some Christians have called themselves Christians but have not behaved as Paul talks about husbands behaving in this passage. They've been domineering, they've been, uh, they've been self-centered, they've been lazy, shiftless, and violent, they've been drunks, and so on, and they've called themselves Christians. Now that is, that, is, that, that is also very, very shocking. And it's shocking because, of course, many people who object to the Bible and to the Christian way of life and to Christian teaching have those kind of people in mind when they criticize Christian marriage. They may know someone who, who's behaved in an abusive way to their, the wife and their children. They say, well, that's what you want a wife. You want a woman to submit to that kind of behavior. Well, no, that's not. That isn't what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying um, that uh, a woman is to submit uh, to, to evil, illegal behavior. That's not what not, but we'll look at that in a bit more detail. Now, I want to next note this. Some people would say that... Um, would agree with what, what I've said, that, um, that it isn't a question of the woman is inferior to the man, that is why she's submitting. Um, but 
what, is, what, what kind of thing is it that she's submitting to? Well, I, I want to think about this point about leadership. I want to think about this fact that the man is, in the marriage relationship, the leader in a marriage relationship. Um, we're not saying here that, that in society, in normal life, a woman can't be a leader. I already said it. I mean, I taught for 38 years. For at least half that of those years, I, I had women headmistresses that, uh, you know, were the leader in the school. I never I ever felt, oh dear, she's telling me what to do. I bet I'm not going to do I'm a man. She's a woman. No, of course not. You don't think of it. You, 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 you know, having read the Bible many, many times before, before, during, and after teaching, I never found anywhere that idea that just because uh, uh, someone is female, that means they're inferior as a person, and therefore somehow a male has a has a right to, you know, to uh, to to disobey, you know, someone in in that that relationship. No, but I do want us to notice that the kind of leadership that is involved in marriage. Is, is quite clearly defined by Jesus. Look at Mark 10, verse 42, for a second. Mark 10, verse 42. Um, in fact, I'm going to read it quickly because I'm running out of time. Um, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, You know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now Jesus defines true leadership. Our humble, loving, serving people. A husband was created to be a humble, loving servant of his family, of his wife and of his children and indeed the wider family, doing the best for them, discharging his responsibilities before God, being a leader. Now, why do, why do we need a leader? In, uh, why, why does there need to be a leader in a family? Well, obviously, just from a practical point of view, sometimes decisions have to be taken and someone has to take responsibility for it. But I want us to notice that there's, there's always been a problem in, in uh, relationships between men and women since the fall. Men are fallen creatures, self-centered, proud, uh, constantly seeking uh, to be first. And the same is for women as well. Genesis 3 tells us that as a result of the fall... Um, the Lord said that marriages basically become a battleground between two wills. The husband will try to domineer, control, and exercise his selfish will on that relationship. And the wife will also try to domineer, control, and exercise her selfish will in that relationship. Now, I'm talking in absolute terms because obviously marriages differ and people's personalities differ, but that is... A battle is going on to a a smaller or greater extent in people. God said of the woman in Genesis 3 that her desire will be for her husband. And 
people often think, oh, that means, oh, she wants him. She, you know, from now on, she's going to be attracted to him and she's going to want, you know, she'll desire to, to be with him emotionally and, and she'll like him and so on. But that actually isn't what the word means. The same expression is used in the same book of the Bible, only a few, few verses later in Genesis, when it said of Cain, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, God warns him, sin is crouching at your door because he's angry. He's really angry with, with God and he's angry with his brother. And he says, if you, don't, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Exactly the same Hebrew expression. Its desire is contrary to you. In other words, Cain was in danger of, of being controlled by his selfish impulses. And uh, that's true of, of women. That's true of Eve, and it's true of women, and it's true of men. And Paul's teaching on submission to us in general is to control and dominate not other people, but to control and dominate our selfish impulses. That's what Genesis says, and indeed that's what Paul says, that we are to be... We are to be ruled by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. And our wives, as well as uh, husbands, are not to control and dominate their partners, but they're to control and dominate their selfish impulses. Now, there have been many attempts by some evangelicals to dilute the meaning of what Paul says when he says, submit to your own husbands. And... uh, for instance, I'll give you a, a, a quotation. Submission isn't just for wives any more than the sacrificial love is just for husbands. These behaviors like humility, meekness, and kindness are Christian behaviors. Well, yeah. Well, that's true. But that doesn't mean that Paul isn't specifically talking to women that they need to submit to their husbands. How does he define submission? Submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. Well, that means obeying him in uh, you know we we obey christ we submit to his will we follow his guidance we we are led we are led by him jesus said if you love me you will obey me why does paul tell husbands in this context to show sacrificial love and serve their wives and if you look at it paul addresses about just a, over 40 words to women uh, in their relationship to their husbands. Then well over 100 words uh, to men, t- two or three times as much, to men to be kind and loving and, and committed. Why does he do that? Well, obviously, because he didn't want men to think that because wives were submitting themselves in love to them, that they were then uh, to be abused, exploited. They could bully and domineer their wives. Paul, in a, in a way, was just reiterating, in a, in a sense, wasn't he, that, that, the, that, that, that one, who is, one who wants to be first must be prepared to be last. He must be prepared to, to serve. The head of the church is our leader, Jesus Christ. He's the great shepherd of the church. The sheep follow the shepherd. And uh, in, in the teaching about submission, it's telling us that wives are to to see the, hus- the husband is the one who we follow. When Paul, uh, in verse uh, 23, goes on to say the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, um, 
the head is, of the body is the, the, that that leads the body. But you know, the head of the, 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 the head of the the, the 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 wife is is the husband, but he is a, a loving shepherd who is called to be uh, a person of, of such incredibly loving character. A man is in a position, a husband is in a position of what someone has called a position of inescapable leadership. Uh, I, I saw a film actually on the TV a few, just a few months ago, uh, made in 1956. It's called Attack. It was about an American officer who refused to take responsibility to put himself in harm's way um, and uh, to, to make an attack successful to protect his own, his own soldiers. He was a coward. And he refused to lead. And it resulted in many of his, his own soldiers dying. And uh, the film kind of explores this, this you know, terrible situation where a person is meant to lead because he's meant to protect his soldiers. He's not meant to have them killed. The man is called to lead, not to exploit his position, to make his, his life more pleasant, more easy, more where he can uh, dominate and, and, and kind of make his ego, oh, I'm a great person. No, he's called to lead, to sacrifice himself, to risk himself. He's called into leadership to look after his children, to look after his wife and the, the wider family and seek their good. Our, our, our text is, I don't think it can be diluted. It's, it's just clear. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. As to the Lord, we are to, we are to submit, those who are Christian wives, as to the Lord. To submit to the loving leadership of the husband. I'll say it again. The husband's leadership is meant to be for the benefit of the whole family. For the benefit of children, the in-laws, the wider family as a whole. It's to look after and take care of the physical and emotional needs of everyone in the family unit. As far as it's in his power. Of course, in our modern society, both men and women go out to work. Both men and women are bre breadwinners and so on. But um, the Bible makes clear that the, the, the task of the man is to, is to ensure, as the shepherd of that particular sheep, if you like... Uh, that, that everybody really is looked after properly. Luther once uh, said about uh, the, the, the uh, teaching of the priesthood of all believers, every, every, every believer is a priest. He said, well, you know what that means? It means that every man is the pastor of his family unit, formally delegated with the authority from the great shepherd of the sheep. And so, you know, the, the husband has this, the buck stops with him ultimately, on Judgment Day, we will have to give account to how we've been as, as, uh, as um, husbands, if we are married. Um, and we have to understand that that is the leadership that we are, we are, um, we are submitting to. 
What is the husband's role as head of the wife? And, and I, I want to um, here give some of these uh, things that Paul talks about in this passage. But if you're single, think about how wonderful the Lord is and also how you are called to similar, similar ministries in the world. Notice that um, it says in verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. But it goes on to say in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are to be lovers, not just uh, people that uh, tolerate her inside, you know, her indoors. Not someone who just, um, ju- just uh, has a working relationship, but to, be, to, to be, have a, a real love and tender care for the wife. They're to be the sanctifier of the wife. Ephesians 5.26, Jesus made the church holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish. As husbands, a Christian husband is to seek that the wife should get, be so close to the Lord. The husband should be praying for his wife and indeed the children that they will become holy people. They'll become Christians, of course, but also they then go on to be holy disciples. And as such, should be encouraging the the wife in her Christian life. Often, we can be, men can be discouragement can be discouragers of their wives. Christian discouragers, you know, not thinking about their needs, not thinking about um, what's best for them, only thinking about what's best for ourselves and our own plans and our own projects and so on. We are to be the sanctifiers of our wife. We are to care and strengthen the wife, uh, it says in verse 29. Uh, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. And uh, the husband is tasked to really be making it his, 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 his uh, great uh, uh, aim in life is to, to strengthen, care for his, his wife and his children and the wider family. And she becomes the, the one that he is faithful and loyal to. This reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That is all part of the actual task of this leadership that uh, the husband has for his wife. This is part of the job description. And you might notice that, of course, if someone is like that, how could they ever bully, be selfish, be insensitive, insist on, our own, uh, on their own selfish desires? How could they? Uh-oh, I need now to review my behavior in the past week, past month, past few years. How could anybody bully, be selfish, be insensitive? Well, of course, we can. We need to examine ourselves. Being the head of, uh, head of the family, being the head of the wife means seeking the wife's good first, not our own good. To please the wife. And so, uh, to, to finish, I've gone five minutes over time. Paul here, uh, and I've begun to, to expound it, there's a lot more really to say, but Paul here is emphasizing how women filled with the Spirit lovingly subject herself to her husband's leadership. Now, that is to the husband's defined leadership 
uh, as the uh, as the one who is looking after the family. It isn't uh, talking about women keeping their mouth shut when the husband is breaking the law, being abusive, being violent, and so on. It is uh, the, the wife's uh, responsibility, of course, is to fulfill um, and help the husband's uh, the husband to fulfill that role. And uh, if she keeps quiet when he is squandering the money and the kids aren't getting fed, if he is being violent to the children, he, she's not helping him fulfill that role by letting him get away with it. Not at all. If a, if a, if a, if a, a man, a non-Christian husband, or even a Christian husband, is breaking the law by the way, he, the way he's behaving with his children, or with her for that matter, it's her responsibility to actually report him to the police and try, and, try to get him counseled and changed. It, but this loving subjection of the wife has also has to be real. It has to be being prepared to submit our own wills um, to our husbands if we're, if we're married. But let me finish by saying, well, well, how does this apply to a single person? How does this apply to people that aren't married, or widows or widowers and so on? Well, I think we can see from this you know, something of the care and the love that we should also have for our fellow human beings. You know, the, the, the wonderful um, um, love of Christ, to a certain extent, is reflected in, in, in an imperfect way in Christian families where, where they're praying and trying to fulfill that. But it also, of course, the way Christ nourishes and looks after and cares for his people, is something that, of course, we should all be doing church members uh, the way that, that uh, Christ sacrifices himself for his people yes the man uh, is prepared to lay down his life for his wife but we're also told in the New Testament that that's what we should be prepared to do for the brethren and that means sisters too brothers and sisters in 1 John it tells us that, that we're going to be prepared to lay down our life for our fellow Christians the, the tender sensitive care that people will be encouraged and not discouraged applies not just husbands to wives, but it also applies to our fellow church members and to people going on with the Lord. So may the Lord take this passage and, as I said, apply it to all of us in, in different stages we are in life and different circumstances of our life and uh, open up uh, its meaning. Let's close in a word of prayer. O oh, Father in heaven, We do thank you that you have not left us in a world where everything is relative. But Lord, you have disclosed your absolute truth about the way we should behave in this world, about what is good, what is wholesome, what is excellent, what is of good report, what is lovely. And Lord, um, we pray that you will take each one of us, uh, me, Lord, especially, and uh, I pray that you will take this passage and help us and, and help me Uh, to examine my life and to see, Lord, where there is sin, where there is laziness, where there is a wrong attitude. And we pray, Lord, that you will mold us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray, Lord, that this for our church membership, Lord, that we will uh, look at the way we respond to each other. Lord, whether we respond with the love, the self-sacrificing, caring, sensitive love of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.